If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. Thank you, Glenn. You are listening to the Home of Conservative, Not Bitter Talking. Yes, I am your host, Todd Huff. Email, as always. As always, my friends, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. So, Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs last night. Winning their first Super Bowl in, gee, many, 50 years. 50 years, MVP Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, who didn't play well most of the game. I found this Super Bowl ad very, let's see if I can get this pulled up here. Super Bowl ads are a big factor during uh, the Super Bowl, of course. And yes, I want to get to the interview Sean Hannity had with Trump as well. But this, the best ad was, in my opinion, the Trump ad, the Donald J. Trump ad at the very beginning of the Super Bowl, which of course has the left in a tizzy. I got this email after that after that ad was played, sent from Tom Perez, and this is what it says. Trump just lied to nearly 100 million people during the biggest TV moment of the year. Here's what it means. Did you see the Trump campaign's game day ads just now? This is why, or here's why they have me worried. Trump's message reached around 100 million people. That's about as big of an audience as you can get. This was sent out during the Super Bowl, folks. That's point number one from Tom Perez. Point number two, and perhaps even more worrying, these ads were full of lies. Lies about Trump's promises. He's broken more than he's kept. Tom Perez, DNC chair, writes, wage growth that slowed under Trump. And more. This is what I mean when I talk about the challenge we face in this election. The the challenge they face. Donald J. Trump actually sending out, or excuse me, posting an ad, or not posting an ad, airing an ad during the Super Bowl. Airing an ad during the Super Bowl. That has Tom Perez terrified. You know, he has 100%, 100% I saw during the impeachment 100% negative coverage of his 
presidential um, impeachment defense during during uh, on network news during that shenanigan, which we'll talk about impeachment as well as the program comes together. But my oh my, what does Perez want? I mean, these folks are terrified. They are terrified of anything Trump says directly to the people. By the way, the State of the Union coming up. You know, it's it's just it's funny to me. You know, you look at all these efforts to either get people to hate Trump, to politically harm him, they all fall by the wayside. And when, you know, we're left at the end of the day, what we have is Donald Trump going straight to the American people, and this has them terrified. I think this email Perez sent out should have just said, look, I don't want to hear free speech anymore. I don't want the president to be able to actually make his case to the American people. Bunch of, you know, I like it when Democrat, when the radical left, the radical left tries to make their case politically. I like it when they tell us what they think because it is so easy to dismantle. There is so much wrong with it when it's about something other than Trump's a Nazi or whatever else, what other other nonsense they want to, you know, spew. When we actually talk about issues, it's pretty straight, uh, clear cut what the American people think, but that's why they have to demonize, demonize Trump, demonize Republicans and all this sort of stuff. What about this halftime show? You know, I actually found myself during the halftime show asking myself a question. Was this performance by Shakira and J-Lo, was it less or more vulgar than the performance where I actually saw, not by my choice, a nipple <laughs> from Janet Jackson. I found myself asking that question. My wife and I were talking about this. All sorts of people I saw uh, commenting on this. I mean, this is this. I mean, not a. This is a family event. I'm glad my my two daughters, two daughters didn't have any interest and they were playing playing somewhere else in the house. Didn't see uh, all this stuff during the halftime festivities maybe you enjoyed it i look this stuff is this stuff is terrible to me i have no interest in this i didn't know who was performing until they started performing and when it came on which seemed about i don't know 20 minutes after the players left the field how do you do halftime at a super bowl i mean if you're a player i remember thinking when the chiefs got the ball back in the second half i thought the chiefs patrick mahomes hasn't taken a snap in about 48 minutes or something. This is kind of hard to keep your your game day mojo going anyway. You know, I have another question as I'm thinking about the Super Bowl here. Why don't we hear people get upset about the name Chiefs anymore? Is it because <laughs> is it because Elizabeth Warren um, is running for president? Does that have anything to do with this? I don't know. We'll talk about that as well because in the next probably the next hour we'll get to the interview that Trump had with Sean Hannity uh, that aired just before the Super Bowl uh, because next segment I've got to get to an interview that I uh, have with with Senator Mike Braun here of the great state of, of Indiana so I want to air that next segment but congratulations to the uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs it was a really it was a great game it really was a good game and I have to stop and think too this it wasn't it was a good game for the NFL fan, the first three, or the, the traditional football fan. How about that? Because you had defense, you had running, uh, you know, kind of smash mouth football at times. 
it was ugly in the sense of, you know, not many points. I think it was 20 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Patrick Mahomes hadn't done much of anything. There wasn't a tremendous amount of offense. It was really a defensive game. You got to figure most fans tuning into the Super Bowl, a good chunk of them are not really football fans. This is the chance for the NFL to maybe attract new fans. That's why this game is often not even about about the game. It's why we've got performances like this junk we saw last night as well. But it's about trying to attract other people, bring them back, have them you know get a inkling of interest. And it's also ultimately why the NFL continually modifies and changes its rules from the hardcore NFL fan to those who I think the game might be a little bit too tough and, and violent and so forth. And that's why we see this continuing evolution away. And I get player safety. I'm not minimizing that. But just a lot of these rules, I mean, come on. I don't know if you watch the Pro Bowl, which is a waste of time, but it's effectively a two-hand touch game. And I don't think the NFL is too far from becoming something like that. But again, congratulations to Kansas City Chiefs, uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs. First Super Bowl victory in 50 years. Great story. Very good game. And uh, again, I think the ad of the game was the Trump ad early on, which upset the Democrats, of course. I loved it. I think it was the first commercial break. It's called the uh, Free Alice Marie ad, I think is what they called it, Alice Marie Free. Um, I was going to play it, but I just don't have time. I've got to get to this interview. But that being said, I have to take a break. When we get back, I want to share a conversation that I had Friday after concluding this program a little bit later in the morning with Senator Mike Braun of Indiana. We talked about, you know, at that particular time, we had some unknowns. We thought we knew, but we weren't sure pertaining to impeachment. So I wanted to share this conversation that Mike and I had, Senator Braun and I had on Friday, and then talk a little bit about impeachment, as that, of course, now is in its final final phases as the acquittal vote should be set for Wednesday. And it will be over just kind of, and you, I'll explain a little bit more about that as the program comes together. But you are listening to the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Laughing here behind the scenes. I was listening a little bit to something that we will share with you later in probably an hour number two today. Uh, President Trump's interview with Sean Hannity <laughs> Talk, talking about Bloomberg uh, asking the question, why should he get a box? <laughs> and we'll talk about that. Oh, I love it. Next segment. So that said, before we get there, before we get to that, um, I want to talk about impeachment because when I was last with you Friday, um, it appeared that we knew what was going to happen, but there was still some uncertainty. There was some uncertainty as to whether or not we would um, – there would be witnesses. We thought that the votes were there to prevent that, and at the end of the day, only two Republicans, Mitt Romney – and Susan Collins ended up flipping their votes in favor of hearing witnesses. So that being said, um, that process was, of course, 
thwarted over the weekend, which again was an attempt to draw this out to make this a game of political hot potato that would have put the scalding hot potato, at least as the Democrats viewed it, in the lap of the Republicans to hold and to, you know, basically try to make them suffer the consequences of negative press and so forth during during the proceeding. So so that's what happened over the weekend. We have a final vote on Wednesday, final vote on Wednesday that should end this once and for all, kind of, which we'll talk about as we get there. But I talked with Senator Mike Braun Friday, kind of in the midst of this final phase of the impeachment process. And so I wanted to share that conversation with you. Uh, this is Senator Mike Braun from the great state of Indiana. Uh, we talk about impeachment. We talk about uh, just the, some important issues and uh, surrounding impeachment, some of the things we can learn from this. So I hope you find this um, this conversation enlightening and helpful. Mike Braun, senator from the great state of Indiana. So it is my pleasure today to be joined by Senator Mike Braun, Republican from the great state of Indiana. Senator Braun, you've had an exciting, exciting couple of weeks there in the Senate. Tell folks a little about, about what's going on, especially today, Friday, as we come to what appears to be possibly the end of this impeachment shenanigan. Well, I think you used a good word with uh, shenanigans, and um, I think that, uh, yes, we kind of knew where we were going to end up. Uh, we knew there were going to be two or three Democrats, uh, West Virginia, Alabama, uh, Kristen, Kirsten Sinema in Arizona, and two or three Republicans, uh, and we're actually at that point. And all I can tell you about the process is I think President Trump, when he came on the scene, we all uh, knew it was going to be an interesting uh, first term. Uh, he was different, uh, not a politician. And I can tell you in the year I've been here, the system did need to be shaken because it wasn't delivering results. In fact, Todd, I think uh, Bernie Sanders is the exact opposite, and he's resonating on the Democrat side. So I think that tells something about people fed up with business as usual in D.C. It's why I ran. So on great committees, uh, have uh, attended them all, uh, bring the knowledge of a Main Street entrepreneur, the biggest uh, reaction I get there, well, you actually seem to know what you're talking about without having to uh, you know, be briefed by staff. And that's been a pleasure, and I've put a lot into it. Now, impeachment. In my opinion, when they were talking about impeachment from inauguration, it was because there was a shock to the system, and it needed it, about a guy like President Trump making it through. Didn't think it could happen. But his agenda and the idea that it is breaking the norms here even made it worse for the people that didn't like the fact that somebody was trying to shake it up. President Trump, we know he's going to push the envelope. And I think, you know, I've been asked, well, what do you think about what got him into trouble in the first place? All I can tell you is, uh, you know, that is part and parcel of what it's going to be with any individual that's trying to change it. Does that make it wise? Does it make it right? Uh, I think the lesson to be learned here is you got to be a little careful because I knew when I ran back in 18, especially after we got through the mild uh, litigation of the primary. Uh, gloves are off. Uh, this place is so charged when you got the likes of Chuck Schumer and George Soros on one side. And here we try to go largely from a policy point of view. Both sides are 
definitely guilty of harsh, negative advertising. This is just reaching kind of a uh, a pinnacle, and I think that we'll get through it. Um, and I think when it's purely partisan, the framers never intended it to be that way. You need to have a case that has merit to it, is not built on circumstantial evidence. And I think Dershowitz gave everyone something to think about in that you now need to understand what public interest is, political interest, and a pure personal interest. And if you'd measure what the Bidens did, what Joe Biden did, that is a mixture of political and personal interest, where Trump was straddling was public and political interest. I think there's something to be learned from this. Be careful, because the other side, I think, will jump on the other side, and you'll be entangled in this versus doing what the agenda has been showing. It's working. Well, the precedent is certainly awful that has been set. You know, you, you touch on something with uh, with your comments there that reminds me, in my, in my opinion, I think that from the beginning, that this has always been the strategy of the media and the radical left. This is what they do to Republican presidents. They attack, they attack, they malign, they go after them. They, you know, it's, it's, it's incessant, the negative media coverage and so forth. Just the difference this time is, and you hit on it in your, your initial comments there was, is that Trump is going to fight back and he's not afraid to continue to raise the ante and the media and the, and the radical left, they know one strategy, which is to increase the rhetoric to the point to where we've now got a this this impeachment sitting before the Senate. This is nonsense, Senator Braun. You know that. And I'm I'm encouraged that it looks like the Republicans are standing together for the most for the most part um, against this. So it's my understanding there will not be any witnesses from what we're being what's what's being reported is that what you understand as well with it, it, it is because it really has two thresholds at this point and that is to get the vote on witnesses uh, out there and right now it appears that Mitt Romney and Susan Collins have said they're going to vote for it uh, Lamar Alexander who I was somewhat surprised that he would have been fence straddling and I thought put a pretty good explanation out where he was coming from, said no, and then you're left with Lisa Murkowski um, in Alaska, and she said she wasn't going to make her mind up until today. So let's say it ends up where Lisa votes against witnesses. Then it's clear cut. Then we move as quickly as we can to the verdict vote. Uh, and even if she says yes for witnesses, uh, It'll fail in terms of the motion, and it keeps begging the question, well, what would this uh, chief justice do? Mm -hmm. Every reading I'm getting, he would have to make a political statement uh, by presiding over the Senate in this trial if he tried to weigh in. So that means it would be the same effect as if we only had two senators wanting witnesses. So the numbers two, three, and four or the critical numbers, it looks like we're zeroing in on where it will not call for more witnesses. And then people, the Democrats are talking about, we well, can't have a fair trial with more witnesses. They had 17 witnesses mm -hmm. in the House proceedings. They didn't allow the president to bring in witnesses. These were all their witnesses that they called. And then they complain about not having more. How reminiscent does that sound of the Kavanaugh proceedings? Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, when the case leveled off, fell flat, they wanted to delay and hope something else might come in and 
break the dynamic at the time. That's the playbook. Uh, sadly, that's where we're at. And whether the lesson will be learned that we need to back off from that, maybe try to work on policy in places where we can come to agreement, uh, my gut tells me we won't get through that and see any of that until after November of 2020. And then it will be a question of how much Democrats want to pursue trying to thwart Trump after he's elected. So, And I think at that point, maybe there'll be the realization, let's get busy on uh, lowering the cost of health care, taking a broken industry on. Uh, when I told Democrats, why wouldn't you want to reform the industry uh, as opposed to going to a one-payer system? It'd make providers uh, it'd be a better deal for Medicare and Medicaid. They said, oh, you know, that makes sense. So we were moving in the direction of getting something done there. And you look at the policy uh, proposals of, between the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, free college tuition, yeah. get rid of the electoral college. That's where <laughs> that's the right. Democrats start talking crazy. Yeah. But they do outmaneuver us, Todd, Certainly. on identifying the issues uh, because climate is an issue that we need to be engaged in. Anybody that is, uh, you know, in their Forties or mid forties or earlier, it is a marginally important issue. We need to not get rolled like we did with Obamacare by being on the sidelines, but we need to make sure we're out there pushing things that can work. Uh, technology, um, you know, innovation, the market, uh, things right? <laughs> that we can afford. We just can't be on the sidelines. Yeah. I don't intend to be on any of those issues. Well, and, and the market, that's one of the things that's it's maddening to me. I listen to the left and they talk about all the things that that they're able to to do if we just get behind these these government, you know, top down government ideas, one size fits all solutions, you know, fairness and, and, and outcomes of uh, equal outcomes and so forth. And they can't even get the people on their debate stage to have the same amount of time during a debate. How in the world are they going to make equality across the board? But you're right. They're good at messaging. They're good at outmaneuvering yep. Republicans. And they put Republicans on defensive, which is candidly, Senator Braun, I want to take a moment to sincerely thank you. And I, this is one of the things I wanted to say to you and, and, and get your thoughts on. But I want to thank you for actually – taking a bit of offense on this impeachment hearing from the beginning. I've seen you on Fox News. I've seen you standing behind Ted Cruz at his press conference or that group press conference recently yep. where he handed it to the media and so forth and the the Democrats. And, and we need to see more of that. I, I want to thank you for being bold enough to make to make those appearance, uh, appearances because we got to correct and combat that narrative that's espoused by the radical left and the media and leadership requires people to stand up, and, and you've done that here. I, my question to you, and I know that this is maybe a little bit uncomfortable. I don't want any names. This is not personal to me with anybody, but why don't we see more senators and members of Congress doing what you've done? What's what's the holdup? Well, the, the number one holdup is I, I remember when uh, I was running, and uh, you know I've always led, gotten involved, comfortable with articulating my ideas. It didn't always have to be in the lead if I thought somebody was doing a good job with it. Some people are inherently uncomfortable with it. You throw the media component, uh, the shark tank into it like it is out here, most just don't want to do it. Uh, I didn't want to do it other than you could see Democrats do a better job at it. And you've seen a guy like John Barrasso, who is a uh, physician from Wyoming, Ted Cruz from Texas, 
Tim Scott, you know, who's a business guy from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been carrying that load, whereas the Democrats generally dump out about a third of the Senate mm-hmm. uh, on their side. Uh, and we need to do a better job at that. That goes to what I said earlier. If we don't get engaged in issues, we will get outmaneuvered by them. And then we got the other challenge over time is demographically. How do we bring more people into the mindset of conservatism? And we can't stick our head in the sand there either. Um, and I think that's why you do need to stick your neck out. And if you feel that you can do a decent job of articulating the idea, not afraid of the uh, the pressure sometimes is intense when you've got 15 different you know reporters hollering at you, uh, but you've got to do it. And I think where we come from, from a functional state like Indiana, I tout it all the time, where things work, uh, some of us need to be more vocal because the other side always exceeds us with the decibel level. Mm-hmm. Where they fall apart is on what they're trying to sell to us, and that does not make sense. That's exactly right. And I would think, too, and I, and I again, I'm observing this from a distance, but I look and I see what, I, what I, appears to me as President Trump kind of, uh, I, I would say, encouraging or uh, really helping folks be bolder. You can see that – you can walk through these attacks, and now, granted, no one, the average person, doesn't want to put up with what he puts up with every day from the, the media and so forth. The average person simply could not. That's I mean, right. Uh, that's an amazing ability to get through it, and I think that you know he uh, sometimes it looks like uh, feeds off of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to feed off of it necessarily, but I just want to make sure that we don't get outmaneuvered. And I think there are going to be more recruits that come from Main Street USA, not the farm system of politicians, which are mostly lawyers. We've still got around 60 lawyers in the Senate. And we need more people that have actually run something, done something. And uh, we're not going to fix this place by uh, the current dynamic that is here. And uh, to me, I hope that changes over time. And let's... When I was a business guy, an entrepreneur, you know, I was under the radar. I was busy trying to figure out how to survive from day to day, outmaneuver your competition. So you you got to be adaptable a little bit because a new job may require new skills to be learned. And sadly for conservatives, we need to be more vocal about why that works and why certainly we don't need more federal government when we're running trillion-dollar deficits. I mean, that ought to be the easiest thing to understand, and that's where local and state governments need to be more prominent, and we shouldn't look to the federal government to try to solve all our problems. It's a broken institution, and it's financially broke as well. It is. It is. And and, and I think that, you know, you're you're right on the mark with with what what your priorities are, what what you're saying there. And it is a, a breath of, of fresh air, and I'll talk really briefly. And I know you've got to go, but you know, one of the things that I seek to do, my my brand of political talk is conservative, not bitter. I think a lot of folks, I deal with people. I actually have people who uh, I have a salesperson, believe it or not, who's a self-identified liberal Democrat, and she told me one day, she said, "Todd, I could never vote for a conservative Republican, but I could support you," and I. It's, that's not true. The problem is that she knows me. She understands me. We engage. We talk. And she understands that just because we have a different view on something, which 
Ironically, we agree on a pretty big chunk of stuff, which is surprising to maybe some people. But you're not going to find that connection if you're not willing to, I guess, be a little vulnerable. To to not you don't have to look at Democrats as as the enemy, right? I mean, sometimes politically that that's the case. But when the rank and file Democrat voter is out there listening to to this debate about impeachment, for example, they they need things explained to them. They've been They've been kind of hypnotized by the the rhetoric in the media. That's what they've been subjected to. A hundred percent negative coverage of of the Trump defense in the media is what I saw in one in one study. So they need people like you and other senators. They need people like me and other folks who have microphones and so forth to do this. So I'm encouraged. What are what are some uh, I, I guess some ways that we can get there in your in your opinion? So I think the biggest thing is, and that's the way I ran my entire campaign and my office here, like, for instance, uh, I welcome any Hoosier across the state on a Friday, uh, because I'm generally, I go back and forth every week. I spend, uh, this is one of the first weekends or two I've been marooned out here, but you've got to engage. You've got to talk to people you disagree with. You really don't learn much if you're just always talking to people that share your values. So any Hoosier can come visit me on a Friday, and I take up to an hour in my office, in my business that I built back from the early 80s. I travel the state uh, during every recess week. Uh, I'm in central and northern Indiana, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Visited all 92 counties. And it might sound, well, you're doing it just because that sounds good. I do it because I enjoy it, number one, and I learn something along the lines of what you are talking about. Because if we don't do that, we have no chance to be able to communicate with people in the center or that might disagree with you diametrically opposed. Uh, you just won't get anywhere. So I think the way you've described that microcosm of your relationship with that uh, salesperson, you know, I try to I embrace that too. And I think if we do that, that's how you get your ideas to prevail in the long run. Well, you're right. And I tell folks this, Mike, when they uh, when we have some discussions, some some personal discussions, when uh, the very first time I spoke with you, and I mean this, um, the, uh, we interviewed lots of lots of different folks on here, but our first conversation, uh, you struck me as someone who was different in a good way, someone who was uh, personable, someone who was uh, genuinely trying to, you know, to do what he thought was in the best interest uh, of the state of Indiana. So I've always I've been impressed with you by the uh, from the beginning. I'm impressed with what you've done with impeachment, and I'm proud to call you one of our senators, sir. So thanks for joining us. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, let's get together again soon, and uh, maybe we'll do a debrief on the whole thing once it's done. So one more one more question: Is this if if we get through and there's no witnesses and there's you know through the weekend there's no witnesses and and there's actually the, the acquittal vote and everything goes through? Is this <laughs> I, I know the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, in one sense, it's not right. I mean, it, it is technically, but this it's just simmering there. There will be something else that comes from this, or is that how you see it? Or I, I don't think this is going to end because they're going to go away with it being an unfair process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was unfair when it came over purely partisan. Uh, it'll be at this level of vitriol 
until November of 2020. And regardless of the outcome, and I feel real good that the president's going to get reelected because he was here to shake the system up. It needed to be done, and the agenda is working. And that is when we'll finally see if we're going to get rid of this high-octane political environment and then uh, kind of go arm-in-arm on some of the key issues I mentioned earlier. So I'm op- optimistic for that. We won't know that until probably early 2021, uh, once the dust settles. Understood. Well, sir, I appreciate your time. Know that Hoosiers are standing back applauding you and for standing firm on this stuff. Great job. Thanks for joining the program. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now that we had that interview, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Senator Mike Braun from the great state of Indiana, throws us off our timing, which is fine. So that means this segment is going to be very, very short just to get us back onto track or close onto track here. But Mike Braun was right about a couple of things. This impeachment is not really over. We'll talk about that as we get into the next the next hour or so. I want to say one more thing about the Super Bowl halftime performance. I don't care. Whatever. Uh, But you can't. Look, you can think Shakira, beautiful, sexy, whatever, J-Lo, same thing. But to tell me that that's not. I mean, there were more crotch shots in that performance than I, I could count. There's stripper poles on the stage, folks. Stripper poles on the stage. You can like it. Whatever, but to to pretend or to not think that there's uh, that that was uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I have little girls. I have a five and a, or excuse me, six. She's now six. She would not be happy to hear me say she's five. Six and eight year old daughter. I mean, I, whatever. Think whatever you want, but I'm just uh, <laughs> to to say to say that that's a celebration of Latina culture or whatever's being said. I mean, it's basically, at parts, a strip tease on stage. <laughs> so, anyway, I've got to take a break. Humor me, uh, for those that don't think that, it, it entertains me very, uh, very much here behind the scenes. But that being said, I have to take a time out. When we get back, I'm uh, going to start moving into the process of talking about impeachment. And I want to play sound bites from the interview that Trump, uh, that Hannity had with Trump. Uh, before the Super Bowl. It aired yesterday before the Super Bowl. Now, I will tell you, I'm not going to be able to get to that this hour. I know it's not what you want to hear because um, it's probably something you want to hear on hear me talk about. So, and hear the clips if you haven't heard those already. But you can listen uh, by being a subscriber to Total Access, which you can simply Visit ToddFShow.com slash Total Access uh, for information on how to do that. But I have to take a break. You're listening. Actually, you can also text the word ACCESS. You could do that as well. A-C-C-E-S-S to 888-111. Got to take a time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. So earlier in the program, I had mentioned 
Well, we talked about impeachment, and, and Senator Braun and I talked a little bit about impeachment as well. And so at the time, I spoke with him late Friday, Friday morning um, after this program, but we kind of thought we knew what was going to be happening the remainder of the day in the Senate as they dealt with impeachment, but we didn't know for sure. We didn't really what we didn't know was whether or not Lisa Murkowski would have given uh, the side wanting witnesses, the side calling for witnesses, uh, giving them 50, 50 votes, which would have technically made it a 50-50 tie. There was some question as to what Chief Justice John Roberts could have done, should have done, would have done at that particular point. Would he have somehow inserted himself? That's why um, a year – well, I shouldn't say a year ago <laughs> – that's the last week I referenced something that happened a couple of years ago when Senator Mike – I'm sorry, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts had you know, done what he did with Obamacare, the ACA, where he actually changed his vote. He just had me asking questions, what else would he – what else would he do in this instance? We know he's not a big – well, we have lots of reasons to think he's not a Trump guy. Um, he's done things that aren't necessarily <laughs> historically uh, what we see happen from chief justices. They normally don't change their votes and have opinions have to be rewritten and so forth. But we didn't have to do that because the only two Republicans that ended up buying into the nonsense that this that this performance, this is this very bad political theater needed to continue were Mitt Romney and Susan Collins. And so, the motion for witnesses failed 51 to 49, and there will be a vote, a final vote, Wednesday afternoon. I think about 4 is what it's slated for, 4 o'clock Wednesday afternoon uh, to formally acquit President Trump. And so that will make this impeachment process finally and formally over, except for it's not really. This is, of course, going to continue the House, who knows what the House will do. The House may decide to reopen an investigation. They might decide to call more witnesses. They might decide to impeach him for something else. This is all certainly possible. But I've got to take a time out. You are listening to the home of conservative, not better talk. Yes, I am your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. <laughs> Wrapping up here, the last segment of our number one. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about impeachment in our number two, which starts here in a mere what six minutes? Six minutes. Now, hour two. I should tell those of you who are in Indianapolis on listening on Freedom ninety five. Hour number two actually airs five a.m. <clears throat> excuse me tomorrow morning, and then the six a.m. hour will be. Live with today's, well, tomorrow's program by tomorrow, but of course the live program. If you want to listen to Hour 2 and you can't catch that on radio, fear not. There is a way to do that. You simply go to ToddHuffShow.com slash Total Access. Slash Total Access. You can catch that 
Uh, then you can listen live or on demand to the second hour, or you can simply text us the word access, A-C-C-E-S-S, to the number 888-111. Guys, thank you for listening so much. Going to talk about Trump, impeachment, and the rest. Second hour. Have a great day, STG. Take care.